When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ball Don't Lie right here on 1049 The Horn. Smooth Soul Monday right here on Ball Don't Lie. Um, is this song an instrumental? Yes. It's one of the most famous instrumentals in the history of sure pop is. culture. Yes. Because it's Great in song. it's in so many movies. It's uh, I, I've heard it so many times. It's a great road even... trip song. You're just driving. How long is it? Like three minutes, four minutes. Okay. Three minutes. Yeah, and I figure I've never heard any words on the song, but I've heard the song. I what? mean, it's it's popular enough that there's this is Green Onions. There's a song called Mo Green Onions. Is it basically the sequel to this? Yeah, and it's still a little <laughs> bit different, but it's still there is Mo Green Onions yeah, as well. And also an instrumental, Mo Green yes. Onions. Yes. All right. Booker T and the MGs. Uh, hey, Booker T and the MGs. When you got a dude named Booker T, you're going to be jamming somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You can't have a name like Booker T. Booker. And not, T. not jam, not live up to that, man. Booker T. All Booker T's. Music Booker T got they, they they got a certain mojo about yes, it. Yes, they do. All right, they've always have. All right, uh, let's get to Texas. They also got some mojo. Texas men's basketball got a little mojo working, especially after a big comeback win over the K State Wildcats and the Purple Kryptonite on the road. Can't say that enough in the Big Twelve. It's hard mm-hmm. to win on the road, and uh, they got another one uh, on the road tonight. Big Monday, gentlemen. Tonight, uh, Texas playing Kansas on the road, and we'll get into previewing that matchup. But first, uh, let's give some props for. Props are due. Texas winning 69 to 66. Shout out to my man BK. He would appreciate that. Uh, down by 11. <laughs> down by 11 at half, but down by as much as 14 in this game. Mostly due to their just uh, inability to make a bucket in the first half, but also turnovers. They have a lot of self inflicted wounds in the first half for this team. 11 first half turnovers. They cleaned a lot of that up. And also, the really the the, I would say the hero of the second half because it really wasn't the game. Christian Bishop, he had 14.6 rebounds, two blocks, two steals, and you would think, oh, that's that's a good game, but not necessarily a great game. Well, all of it came in the second half. Right. Uh, the 14 points, the six rebounds, all came in the second half for him. Uh, he had five offensive rebounds. He ended up being the spark and the juice, Harge, that this team needed to be able to build that comeback. And they, cor- they corrected a lot of things, but it was mostly being able uh, to depend on the consistency Consistency offensively and the presence yeah. down low, the physical presence of Christian Bishop because man, he started punking people. Yes, down in the down in the post in the paint. He came out in the <laughs> second half and was letting everybody know, get the ball to me. Yeah. I'm gonna do everything I can. The energy that he was playing with, the toughness that he was playing with, the rebounds that he was getting, extending plays and extending possessions during that second half. And just remember, they opened the second half on a 14 to four run in the first five minutes. That was big, and that was huge for them, and then they took the lead, and then 
you know, they were going back and forth, and then they started to really push and put pressure on the ball against K-State. K-State, their big player, Keontae Johnson, was in foul trouble in the first part of it, and they were still winning. And that was the the amazing part for for K-State and what they were able to do. But then that Texas um, – seniority, I would like to say, the maturity that they play with coming out in the second mm-hmm. half and making a run. And can we give Serge Jabari Rice his flowers as well? Yeah, we can. He came out and did his yeah. thing, got, re- recorded a, a double-double uh, for the first time at Texas uh, in the fifth for his career. He's done an amazing job coming off that bench and especially knowing exactly who he is, knowing his role. At the beginning of the year, he was moving around kind of slow and you didn't really know what his his role was going to be. Mm -hmm. But once he figured out what his role was going to be, he let it all hang out and he's been playing great ever since then. He's the closer. Yes. I mean, he really—that's that's pretty what his true. role is. is yep. Down, you know, down when the, the, the game is in clutch time. Uh, once you're down the wire, there you want the ball in the hands of Sergio Bird Rice. He's one of those guys that's clutch threes down the stretch for you. Yep. Um, also, those clutch free throws, which we've seen about three or four, three three different times this season. Uh, we've seen him hit those clutch free throws. So he really does have a great clutch gene and he just doesn't seem to lose his cool in those mm-hmm. pressure pack situations so Sergio Bar Rice and I'll, I'll give props to a, a a source I had behind the scenes who told me before the season no Sergio Bar Rice is the guy he's a guy I know there are a lot of big names a lot of splashy players uh, flashy players as well but he is the guy he's going to be the guy we want to get the ball to in clutch time that has certainly been the case for Texas yeah no doubt about it the the, the pressure in which they play with and the understanding of what winning time that we've talked about, winning clutch time, making those big plays, they have been doing that all year. I mean, you think about how many times they've been down and could have been counted out. Sometimes they could have been – they were getting beat so bad that you didn't think they were going to come back. That was a third double-digit comeback win in the Big 12. Yeah, it's amazing, um, especially in this conference, the way it is. And some of them have been on the road. You would think they would be able to close out – the home team would be able to close out in those situations, but Texas finds a way. It looks like they thrive on the adversity in which they play in the first half. I mean, just think, we talk about it all the time during Texas football. What if Texas football played a complete game hmm. on the on the positive side? Same thing with Texas basketball. We haven't seen them play no, a complete they, game yeah. the entire season, but the adjustments that, they're, that are being made at halftime are ones that we continue to look at and say, okay, you never think Texas is out of a basketball yeah, game, slow, no matter the numbers. The slow start may be, uh, honestly, one of the few things that you can kind of criticize yes. about this team that that has become, I don't know if it's a, a, a theme for this, this team, but it's one of those things that is recur, it's a recurring issue, mm-hmm. that, they, that slow start for Texas. But you're right, the halftime adjustments by Rodney Terry have been amazing. Getting back to Patrick's point, uh, even in this game, I saw this at Horns 24-7. He, he, once again, they broke out the video, mm-hmm. uh, the, the video, of the guys in the first half at halftime so that they could watch themselves, so that they could uh, get that that visual of how they needed to make adjustments, what they needed to do. Um, and it says here, uh, after Terry, after Coach Terry used halftime to show his players video of their turnovers, their lack of energy on cuts and on the glass, the Longhorns came out focused, knowing exactly what they needed to do. So that's become something that I love about Rodney Terry and give his 
the video staff a lot of credit too. Yep. I don't know how they determine within the game real time what actual plays they need to uh, put on those uh, th- those video cuts of halftime adjustments, but they do a really good job of that. And you know, getting back to your point about this Texas team being a great second half team. Um, you know, they just they're just a resilient group. They haven't lost back to back games. Um, we just talked about the third double digit comeback win for them. Uh, there's a lot of faith that they can bounce back from uh, adversity and bounce back from losses too in Big 12 play. So I just kind of I think that's one of the character traits of this team. That's really <clears throat> something that's going to carry them far potentially in the Big 12 play, but also in the tournament. That this is a resilient group and that they they adversity really doesn't seem to be something uh, that that dis- that really distracts this group very nope. often, and they seem to be building on those uh, those at, at those accomplishments throughout the season where they overcome those little battles with adversity. That's the that's the beautiful part about this team, and that's why you enjoy watching them play. They 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 just go out there and they seem to find a way because that's the one thing that we all talk about is can teams uh, in this league bounce back. And this is the toughest league. And what we've seen from Texas every single week is they find a way to bounce back. Marcus Carr hadn't been playing the best basketball right now. And mm-hmm. Texas is still winning. Yeah. They're finding ways to piece it together. Patrick talked about Timmy Allen and, and his ways of going about the basketball game. And is he involved? I saw it, I saw it last week. He was catching the ball and being active. Well, this last game, he couldn't do that. They tried to minimize his efforts to try to make other people make plays. And if Marcus isn't going early, you know, it's it's something that we really need to pay attention to. Well, even Tyrese Hunter, he hadn't been playing his best basketball either, but what he has been doing is playing good defense mm-hmm. and is creating turnovers. If you force the other team to waste possessions, that gives you an opportunity on the other side to get back in there. So it's been a big, big rush to watch these guys. But we still got to figure out what's going on with Dylan DeSue. Um, This week, tonight, when they play Kansas, Kansas doesn't have a true five. They don't have an, a, a big man that they mm-hmm. used to have in the middle. K.J. Adams is the one that has been playing the five position. So it'll be a good challenge for them. But we need to figure out what's happening to Dylan DeSue as well. Yeah, I mean, the Big 12 is kind of this league that is very much of uh, adapt and survive. Mm-hmm. And there is something that there are some of the teams we're seeing struggling are teams that are not adapting. They're trying to play their style very rigidly, and it's taken a while. Baylor, I think, did that at the beginning of the season. They were like, "Hey, this is what we're doing, and every we'll beat everybody doing it." They go, "No, man, you're playing too many good teams to only play your style. You're mm-hmm. going to have to adjust some to fit to mm-hmm. play. If you're playing against a star point guard, you can't guard them the, the exact same team defense as when you're playing against a star big man." Yeah. Texas has done a really good job of that, and now in the second half, we're starting to see Rodney Terry figure out his rotation a little bit better, yep, yep. and that's where you go to adapt, survive, and then thrive. And that is the the third part where you need to get to, to, hey man, now we know our rotation. That You know when he talks about the Warriors, they used to have that death lineup. Mm-hmm. You go, we're not going to have the death lineup, but if we can have that lineup at the end of games, where if it's Christian Bishop that's in it, whether it's it's Jabari Rice, Marcus Carr, Tyrese Hunter, whether whoever you're putting there, Timmy Allen, those guys, and they go, oh, no, when you put us in a game and it's tied, we're down by two, we're mm-hmm. up by ten, whatever it is, we're winning that game. Yep. If we're down by 20, yeah, we're, that's a problem. But if you know in the last six minutes that lineup's hitting the court, we can go win a game. And that's where Texas is getting now, figuring out that rotation. I agree with Harge. Dylan DeSue's not in there as much as I'd like to see him. You know you're going to want Dylan Mitchell to be in there. And 
they've been using Dylan Mitchell a lot of we're going to put him in the beginning of games, but at the end we don't necessarily trust him in those, and those are Jabari Rice minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're you know you got to give and take where you give and take. That five position is kind of the one that is still open for if it's going to be Dylan DeSue, if it's going to be Christian Bishop, if it's going to be Dylan Mitchell, if you know Brock even comes in there at certain points at the end. That one is more fluid, just yeah. depending on who they're playing against, what their strengths are and weaknesses. But finding that in-game rotation has been a big part of Texas' success, knowing, hey, man, we're going to go in there. And, you know, Chris Beard was very big on rotation. Yes. Yeah. And it mattered nothing about offense. His rotation was all defensive. Roddy Terry does care a lot more about the offense in this rotation of not necessarily pulling guys always just, hey, man, you were in for three minutes, pull you out. And I think down the stretch, it's helped out Texas a lot. No doubt. Yeah, Serge Jabari Rice is definitely part of that lineup. I don't, I don't know uh, exactly what the lineup, the clutch lineup would be for him to close out the game, uh, but he's in, he's in it. I mean, yeah. he's been phenomenal for them down the stretch. Uh, and that's why in Big 12 play, Texas leading all the Big 12 teams in bench scoring. Big part of that is the Serge Jabari Rice. Um, ironically, Kansas, they're the worst uh, team in bench scoring in the Big 12, or yeah. in Big 12 play, I should say. So Texas depth can be something that can really help them in this matchup versus Kansas tonight. Uh, but getting back to the just wrapping up the discussion about the Texas uh, win over K-State, it was 40 total fouls called yeah. in that game. A lot of fouls called in that game. A lot of fouls. Uh, and, and I think, you know, for Texas, early on it was hurting them. And then, like a lot of things, they end up being able to uh, flip that momentum uh, to their advantage in the second half and made a lot of those clutch free throws down the stretch. This game, I wonder if they will also get a lot of calls in this can- in this game for Texas and Kansas. I hope Higgins isn't calling this game. <laughs> Dude, been, he can call foul and then be ready to fight because he called a foul on somebody. Yeah, no, this is a – yeah, that game, it was funny because it came down the stretch. It is two physical teams in K-State and Texas, and they keep calling fouls. Keep like, calling fouls. Hey, man, you guys got to stop. Everyone is going to foul out. Exactly. Stop calling everything. And they slowly they phased it out near yeah. the end. But you could tell they, for whatever reason, they called it very tight in this game, which is not normal Big 12 refing. And by the end of the game, yeah, I mean, we saw uh, County fouled out of the game. Yep. Like, there was just – there is reasons why that was – it was not the best officiated. It was fair. Both was teams both were fouling sides. everybody. Exactly. Both, yeah, but it was – yeah, they, they realized near the end of the game they had to stop calling so many fouls. Yeah, you were hurting the – yeah, I mean, I'm going to talk about entertainment value of it. But, yeah, I think right. – I thought they were a little quick on the whistle considering the style of play of both K-State and Texas. Um, but that could be an issue tonight. But the one thing you got to say about Texas – Texas right now, now number five in the AP – uh, one thing you got to say about Texas is that they have, and I saw a K State KSU underscore fan mention this, um, and he does a great job, or she does a great job <laughs> of breaking down some of the stats for K State. And they pointed out, and I thought it was a very astute observation, that if you look at the top seven teams in the Big Twelve, um, which are all five hundred or better in Big Twelve play, that all those other teams except Texas has had a rough stretch where they had to regroup and they couldn't really bounce back. They didn't really show a lot of resilience. Like we said, Texas hasn't lost back-to-back games so far this year, but K-State lost three straight and four out of six. Uh, Kansas lost three straight, now four out of five. Iowa State uh, lost three out of six at one point. Baylor lost three straight early. Oklahoma State lost four to five early. And give Ronnie Terry a ton of credit because that seems to be the case in the Big 12 is that you're going to have a slump. Yes. 
don't know if you can call it a slump. It's just it's such a tough league, and if you're not on your A game night after night, then you could lose. And just so far, you may not be on your A game three nights in a row. Oh, turns out you lost those three games. Texas has not really had that type of stretch, and we all assumed if they were going to have that stretch, it would have be in this current stretch they're in right, right now. Yep. When they started out, I was having to play. I think they played. Three teams and all of them ranked in the top eleven. Yeah, yeah. Tennessee right. starting with Tennessee, Tennessee and Baylor. That, yep, and then K State. Yep, and we all said we want them to be at least be five hundred two and two. Well, now they're two and one with a chance to go three and one in this stretch. But even if they lose this game, not going to work because they're not going to lose this game. But even if they do, still we haven't seen Texas have that slump that the rest of the Big Twelve has had, which shows you there is something about this Texas team. There's a bounce back factor with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, that's uh, maybe some maturity you talk about too, and the leadership. But even after the Chris Beard thing, we saw this right. team bounce back really well after that. So I I just love the grit and the fortitude of this group. That's the main thing. That's you just said it right there. There is fight in this group, no matter what the situation is, whether they're up by twenty or down by twenty. They're going to go out there and they're going to continue to fight. And I and I do look at it and say the maturity of this team with the guard position and what they're capable of doing and how they go about it is what the one thing that I keep looking at. It's it's guard play is the key, but the scrappiness is the biggest part of their success. Mm -hmm. They don't care who gets the glory. You can see it. It seems that way. They don't care who's if you're hot, they're gonna keep trying to get you the ball. Yeah. And if you're not, then they're gonna move the ball around and they're gonna figure out a way to get the ball back to you. But they share the ball so well to the point of there. You you see other teams like if a guy is really cooking, they they ISO in him. They they're taking the ball to the other side and not letting him get it. But then they figure it out and they're like, hold up, man, this guy is hot. Let's keep giving him the ball. Yeah, Let's we saw with Christian him. Bishop. Yes, yep. like that's the, he's not a and normal they never main the part of their offense. There. That's yeah. right. That's right. And they were getting it to him. Yeah, it's it's a really really fun team to watch. It's great that we have a really fun place to watch them play now, too, in Austin. Also true. Like, there's so many – It's as much as there's negative about this team this year, the the coach and everything else getting fired, everything that bad could happen this season, there's a lot of good things to look forward to, and there's a fun team to watch. I'm excited to watch them again tonight. The only team with more quad one wins than Texas in the Big 12 is Kansas. Yeah. So, Texas has – yeah. I think they what, seven or eight – Quad yeah, one some, wins. yeah uh, Texas yeah. has Texas eight and four in quad one wins. Kansas yep. nine and five. So it's not like a big difference right now. Right. But hey, can, can we change that tonight? Uh, yeah, yeah, buddy. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great point. <clears throat> they can change that tonight. Uh, Jalen Wilson, who is the Big Twelve leading scorer right now, averaging close to twenty two points a game, nearly nine rebounds a game. Um, and yeah, and he's so he's the guy they got to try to zero in and try to neutralize. But Texas has done a really good job against. I don't know, the the other team's main score or the other team's top score, they do a really good job of being able to discombobulate and neutralize that threat. They, you may score, but it will be an inefficient, uh, yeah. inefficient stat line pretty much. Hopefully they can do that tonight with Jalen Wilson. Uh, all right, coming up on the other side, I want to get into Rod's round of the day. 
Uh, we will get back to this Brian Schottenheimer hire for the Dallas Cowboys. I've been doing a little rabbit holing, and I'm going to show you, at least I'll tell you, wh- why and how the offense may change under Schottenheimer's uh, counsel or advice. He's not calling the plays. Mike McCarthy's calling the plays, uh, but he's going to have some influence on this offense, and we'll talk about what those influences could be, how they're going to help Dak Prescott, how they're going to help the Cowboys get past the divisional round. We'll get into that on the other side. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie on 104 Now the Horn. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, oh you've done it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to uh, Rod's Rant of the Day right here on Ball Don't Lie. I want to get to some Dallas Cowboys discussion. They did hire a new OC. It was a an a underwhelming, lackluster hire to a lot of Cowboys fans. That's why it hasn't been a lot of buzz about it. I see on the Specs text line, uh, someone said, who did Rod want for the Cowboys OC? I was convinced after doing my research that I thought the best person for the job, and Harge agreed because Harge was on the bandwagon before I was, uh, and I think Patrick also liked this option, was Brian Johnson, the quarterback's coach for the Eagles. Um, both Harge and I were of the opinion that it would be really good to have an outside influence, someone who hasn't been, you know, from the Dallas Cowboys organization, an in-house hire. They love in-house hires, nothing wrong with that, but it would be nice to get some fresh eyes, fresh ideas, different perspective on your methodology, all that kind of stuff. And they're not doing that. They're going to bring Scott Linehan in, who was a consultant with the Cowboys uh, most recently in uh, 2020. Schottenheimer, Schottenheimer, not Linehan. Oh, why did I say Scott yeah. yeah. Brian Schottenheimer, I yeah, apologize. Yeah. No, you fine. Uh, Brian Schottenheimer, who spent uh, last year with the Cowboys, and 2021 he was a pass game coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So a lot of Cowboys fans don't like that. He's 49 years old, uh, but he has – been in the NFL for a while. Of course, he is the son of Marty Schottenheimer, who, by the way, gave Mike McCarthy his first job uh, in the NFL as a quality control coach and ended up giving him his first job as an assistant coach because he was the uh, QB coach with the Kansas City Chiefs. So basically the last season that Mike McCarthy uh, was on the staff in Kansas City, Brian Schottenheimer was actually on that staff. So they do have a little bit of background there, as well as most recently being a consultant to the Dallas Cowboys. Um, If you look at Brian Schottenheimer's resume, his best stint as a coordinator and a play caller was with Seattle Seahawks in the 2018 to 2020 years and seasons. The reason that I think Mike McCarthy zeroed in on Brian Schottenheimer, or at least we knew, I think the clues and hints were that he was zeroing in on Brian Schottenheimer as his OC, uh, was when they hired Solari, uh, Mike Solari, as the offensive line coach. Mm-hmm. Because Mike Solari was the offensive line coach in Seattle when Brian Schottenheimer was the OC there, when he had his best years, by the way. He had top 10 offenses uh, in those three years there. Of course, Russell Wilson had his best, some of his best seasons uh, during that time, but also the decline happened during that time, too. And that's when people uh, basically fell out of favor. Brian Schottenheimer did at that point and then had to go kind of revive his career as a consultant and, and work his way back up the ladder. But he did have top 10 offenses in points per game those years, and that was with... Solari, the offensive line coach, who now he's reunited with here, uh, at least down here in Texas, with the Dallas Cowboys. So that's what I think Mike McCarthy's trying to do. 
Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he's looking for the best candidates, possibly at all these uh, coaching vacancies, uh, assistant coaching vacancies. He's looking for the right candidates, meaning he he's going to prioritize the chemistry, the continuity, um, the synchronicity of this coaching staff, and that's why he wants to bring in guys that he has at least he's he has working knowledge of and familiarity with. I'm not knocking it. I probably would have brought, and you still can, by the way, because you still yep, got to yep. hire a quarterback coach. You got, you know, four or five different assistants you got to replace. So there's still a really good chance Cowboys can go outside of the organization, or at least outside of the you know, the comfort zone, my best way to put it, of Mike McCarthy and go get someone who is an outside the box hire, but also outside the organization hire. And I really hope they do that. And maybe for quarterback coach, that'll be the case. Here's what I like about. Brian Schottenheimer and why I think he'll change the offense a little bit. Now, he is someone who's committed to the run. We know that from just watching Seattle Seahawks games from 2018 to 2020. He will commit to the run, and he has a Air Coriel influence. Um, Don Coriel was basically Don Coriel and Bill Walsh had uh, systems that were really popular uh, at the same time. Bill Walsh had a better publicist, and Bill Walsh's offense. Um, essentially was more successful because it was associated with championships because of the 49ers, all right, in the West Coast offense. So it took off and became more mainstream. But during Carrier's offense, still people still have adopted Air Coriel principles. Essentially, the difference is uh, Bill Walsh's West Coast offense used a lot of crossing routes, a lot more timing routes, crossing routes, movement routes, uh, and... Don Coriel loved the vertical passing game, downfield, deep ball, down the field. And that's what Brian Schottenheimer loves. He's actually an Air Coriel influence guy. So you'll get more vertical routes down the field. So when you're talking about Air Coriel and not with uh, Brian Schottenheimer, that's what we're going with. And by the way, I love me some Don Coriel. Is Don Coriel in the Hall of Fame? If not, he needs to be. I, I'm a big fan of him, too. I yeah, used to love him when he went to San Diego Chargers. I'm not sure that. I'll check on that, though. Yeah, he should be. Anyway, but anyway, there's always been a big, I don't know, I think it was a rivalry, basically, between, and I don't know if it was official between Bill Walsh and Coriel, but at least those who were advocates for those systems treated like a rivalry. It was basically like Thomas Edison and, and Tesla back in the day, right? <laughs> Alternating current and direct current. Ain't it? Getting too nerdy. I digress. Getting back to it. But Brian Schottenheimer, he likes uh, the Eric Coriel influence, which is why is good because you'll get less hitch routes, less stop routes, uh, less in routes, less curl routes. Remember, Sark's big on this, right? Sark likes what he calls movement routes. That's when the wide receiver is hit on the move, right? So you can get yak yards. So he doesn't like the uh, the hitch routes. And by the way, the Cowboys, a lot of hitch routes in Kellen Moore's offense, a lot of stop routes. Actually, the fourth most hitch routes in the NFL came from Kellen Moore's offense. And Brian Schottenheimer, like I said, because of those Coriel influences, he wants to get the ball down the field, movement routes, not stationary targets. So you can get China passing game, shallow cross crossing patterns, uh, spears, the, the overs, the unders, uh, those drive routes. So that's good. And remember, that was Russell Wilson's game, right? They mm-hmm. wanted to run it, run it, run it, and they want to take deep shots down the field. So that's actually something I think Cowboys fans will like. You're going to see more of a downfield passing game, vertical passing game, and less of the underneath stuff that people thought all too often was uh, predictable Yep. Uh, and lack creativity. Let's talk about run game and uh, play action because he's known as being kind of a run game play action extraordinaire uh, and a huge advocate for uh, the play action game and that concept overall. And that was big with Russell Wilson um, when he was with the uh, Seattle Seahawks. So three years with Seattle. Their play-action pass rate was eighth most in the NFL over that time span for the Seattle Seahawks, 28.4%. 
And for the Cowboys, I know, Hart, you're big on this. You always said, I want to see more play-action pass from Dak. I bet you get closer to 30% in Mike McCarthy's new offense with Brian Schottenheimer because um, they had a lot of it with Seattle and the Cowboys. They're higher up there. They're not one of the teams that totally disregards play-action pass, but considering the the, the, the stark differences between Dak with play-action pass exactly. and without, they mm-hmm. need to be utilizing it more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This will. is something that, that we've been talking about, and we see it. I mean, we watched it happen and saw his effectiveness on the play-action. And I know people keep saying, well, you need to be able to run the ball to run play-action. Not necessarily. You just no. need a moment. No, it's, you need a moment of time say, where the linebackers yeah. can be fooled for a second. And you don't even need – they've done studies and, and looked at yards per rush and you know rushing yards overall and compared it when the play-action pass concept is utilized. And you're totally right. The numbers say that it doesn't matter that linebackers and defenders still fall for the play-action pass. I always say it's like cleavage. All you need is a peak. All right, you don't want to stare a peak and you get all right. Nope. It's easy peasy. So I think that you're gonna see more of that. Also, uh, the running game, Cowboys love the outside zone. That's kind of their bread and butter run play. They run outside zone a ton. You're gonna get more inside zone potentially. That's Brian Scheinheimer's bread and butter. So I don't know if you're gonna stop your outside right. zone, but you're gonna get more inside zone. I know that they were third. This is Seattle Seahawks were. Third in inside zone rate. 41% of their runs were inside zone with Seattle. The Cowboys are 19th in the NFL at inside zone rate. 20% in 2022. So that will increase, I guarantee you. Um, Also something to look at is the run rate on first down. The Cowboys fans were really upset because they thought they were really predictable on first down. They ran the ball a lot on first down. Mm -hmm. That is true. Um, The Cowboys ran the ball 57%, over 57% of the time on first down. Uh, Brian Schottenheimer's three years with Seattle, 51% run rate on first down. So you'll get less runs on first down, which should make you a little less predictable on first down. So these are little subtle things. These are small things. I think that Mike McCarthy will add some other conceptual ideas. But I think Brian Schottenheimer works well with Mike McCarthy, and Mm -hmm. that's why he's bringing him in. But just some of these things, if he just sticks to what – he is known for and what his reputation is, you're going to get more movement routes, less hitch routes and stop routes and curl routes, so more vertical passing game downfield. He's a play-action extraordinaire, so you're going to get uh, increased play-action pass rate. Uh, You're going to get a lot more inside zone runs, and you're going to get more passing on first down. That's just like subtle trends. I'm going to do some more rabbit-holing, but that's just subtle stuff. And what I like about Brian Schottenheimer, I remember doing some rabbit-holing about him, you know, just as from a football theorist standpoint, if you go look at the rising trend of wide receiving rushing yards, like mm-hmm. wide receivers used in the running game, he was one of the pioneers of it uh, in the modern NFL. I mean, he was, you know, with the Jets, J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 <laughs> and with the, uh, the St. Louis Rams, man, and even with Seattle, actually, too, um, he utilized a lot of wide receiving rushing yards. That's something you could see increase too. Remember Brad Smith back in the day? Yeah, he yeah. would use Brad Smith. He lives here, actually. Yeah, who finished? Does he really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, finished uh, second. He first in the NFL in wide receiving rushing yards in 2010. Second in 2011. Um, and he utilized that ton- a ton. Even when he got to the Rams, they drafted Tavon Austin. Yep. And Tavon Austin ended up being his weapon. He led all wide receivers in rushing yards uh, after they drafted him. I think that was 2012, I believe. From the, 2000, 
13, I believe, is when they drafted him. So he led all receivers in rushing yards after that. So it's one of his little niche concepts that he loves, that he has pioneered and really popularized in the NFL. I know the Cowboys did a little bit with CeeDee Lamb. I wouldn't doubt if they bring back a Tony Pollard and you'll see some of their wide receivers. And guys like Tony Pollard, they're you know hybrid uh, utility back it used in more wide receiving roles in the running game because yeah. he he's done that a ton everywhere he's gone Seattle remember they they had uh, Percy Harvin there uh when they brought him back for a while like he's he's uh he's one of those guys like he's always had a wide receiver that fits that role everywhere he's gone yeah we so. need that we've been saying it for a long time remember <laughs> we were thinking why wasn't Turpin getting the ball yeah. why wasn't Kevin Turpin another, you yeah, know Turpin what I'm can be so one of those he guys can too. be that guy he really can't so, be one of those guys. He was doing great in the flag football game yesterday. They were finding ways to get him the ball in the Pro Bowl game. He was getting it, flag. Yeah. So now let's see if they can figure out a way to draw up some plays for him this year, uh, getting him out of the backfield and having him run those jet sweeps and all that other stuff. Get him the ball. Yeah. Uh, you're right. So that's a little preview on what the offense may look like, how it may look a little bit differently under uh, Brian Schottenheimer, the new OC for the Dallas Cowboys. So hopefully it's not all doom and gloom. I know Cowboys fans are a little underwhelmed by the hire, uh, but give them a chance. It's it's not the best hire, but it's not a bad hire. But it's not a bad hire. It's not. A lot of people are like, oh, it's, a ter- it's not a bad hire. It's, uh, it's not the best hire. Just remember, he's not the play caller. And he's not the play caller. Yeah. Uh, some house cleaning for you. Don Coriel is in the College Football Hall of Fame yes. inducted yes. in 1999. He is in the Chargers Hall of Fame. But he's not, not the, in the NFL Hall of Fame. They say the main knock because he never made it to a Super Bowl, so he has uh, not been voted in. He was a finalist, though. He has he been a finalist. finalist. He has gotten votes, times, but he has yeah. not gotten in yeah. because he is not. Uh, I understand he, he that, but vote. man, now his system is just so popular yeah. among you know great coaches. So conceptually, I, I understand that and he never made the Super Bowl, but his system has you know been to a lot of Super Bowls and with here, all the coaches. Here's a little note it. for you too. Guess who was under his coaching tree? You know, you always talk about the coaching tree and how it all branches out. Yeah, Don Coriel, John Madden, Mm -hmm. Ray Perkins, Joe Gibbs, Jen Hannafin, Mm -hmm. uh, Rod Dowhauer, Al Saunders, and Jim Elmora, the son. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how. Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, Eric Coriel, it's it's mostly, I'm telling you, it is, it's old school – like this old school rift, I believe. I don't know why it is what it is. I've kind of studied it, but they believe people believe there was like this rivalry going on between the Coriel offense and the West Coast offense. Yep. And the NFL basically chose the West Coast offense, and that's what became popular. And that the Coriel offense has essentially been written out of the history of the NFL. And I don't know why, because the Coriel offense is really, really popular. People just don't talk about it. They don't. It doesn't have the great marketing and the great name that the West Coast offense did. Right. That the name is everything. The name is everything. Yeah, and it doesn't help that he was on the Chargers, so it was also West Coast. Yeah. They couldn't even call it anything else. Like, well, you're also West Coast. Exactly. Like, yeah. Well, like, more central, southern. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And remember, it was a, the West Coast offense, the label was an insult by Bill Parcells. He was mocking the West Coast offense. He said, yeah, you know what, and now what do y'all think? And he had just beaten uh, the 49ers. He said, what do y'all think of y'all's West Coast offense now? And the media just ran away. They were like, oh, West Coast offense sounds really good. And that's why they called the West Coast offense. It wasn't something that Bill Wall said, this is the West Coast offense. That's right. my offense, and I love it. I just named it that. No. 
It wasn't like when Mike Leach named and by the way, Mike Leach named it the air raid. He said it's because the, the fans use the air raid horn the first time. And, and then somebody yeah. said, You should call it the air raid office. He said, All right, I'll call it the air raid office. <laughs> so yeah, Coriel just needed a better name than the yep. air Coriel. It didn't take. You ever see the movie? Oh man. It's the movie about the uh the McDonald's. Like the croc, ownership, croc, whatever it was called. It's Ray Croc is the who it's about, but yeah. I forgot what the actual name of the movie is. There's a great scene in the movie where the McDonald's family, because they are the McDonald's family, they actually that's they their it was their name, right? And they ask Ray Croc, who actually ends up you know basically taking all of their <laughs> he takes he takes all of their business from them, and he ends up it's kind of a, I'm not gonna spoil it for you, uh, but <laughs> it's kind of a sad story. But it ends up essentially winning the McDonald's business, and it becomes the founder. Kid. His business. Is it called The Founder? Yeah. Great movie, by the way. If you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. Yep. Great scene at the end of the movie where the McDonald's guy, one of the brothers says, he's he's talking to Ray Kroc in the restroom. He says, dude, why did you need... He said, you had the recipes. You had the model because essentially their, uh, their claim to fame at the time was that they basically used assembly line like methods for right. their burgers, and nobody right. was doing that. They was getting them out real quick. Right. So basically just kind of took that and just took that around the country and decided to buy up more real estate than any other fast food chain in the history of America at the time, which made McDonald's basically a real estate company and not a burger company. They were flipping burgers and fries. Real estate was where the money was. That's exactly right. But in the scene, the brother says, you had all this. You could have taken the business and not used our name. Why would you take our name? Because he won the name in the lawsuit. Yep. Like, he could use the name McDonald's. Like, that's our name. Why don't you take the name? You had everything else. You had the business. You had the model. You had the recipe. You could have just taken that and started your own business. He's like, my name is Ray Croc. Crocs. It's not a <laughs> yeah. great name. Now you get shoes. He's like, yeah, nobody, <laughs> yeah, nobody thinks about Crocs. Nobody wants to go right. there and get a burger. He said, McDonald's. It's a great name. Yeah. He said, it's all in the name. The name was the key, man. The McDonald's, yep. that name, that's a great name. He said Crocs, not a good name. And I got to <laughs> get back to that. West Coast Offense was a great name for it. Right. The Air Coriel just didn't work as well. It didn't flow as well. Because it was more about <laughs> your name and not yeah. the game's name. Yeah, it was so, It was weird yeah. how it worked out the way. Anyway, uh, but I digress. Getting back to it, we got Off the Record coming up next right here on Ball Don't Lie. Wonderful Nine Horn. Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Next segment, we'll get you caught up with NFL news, notes, and nuggets. A lot of NFL stories breaking uh, during the show, so we'll get those to you next segment. Also, talk about Sean Payton making a lot of straight cash, homie, with his new job as head coach of the Denver Broncos. Uh, it is a smooth soul Monday. My man Patrick playing uh, some soulful jams to hopefully pick up your spirits. Uh, let me get to this story real quick because I didn't watch it. I'll just, full disclosure, I'll be honest about that. The Pro Bowl was this past weekend. Oh, sorry. The Pro Bowl games were this past weekend. Yep, yep, yep. I didn't watch not one minute of it. I did. Okay. Got a chance to watch some of it. The NFC won 35-33. What were the highlights? There were three games that were played during that time. So you play one round. Next group comes in, plays the next round, and there'll be another one. So they had three games that were played. That's how they came up to the point total that you had. But the best part about it to me was the other games that were being played, not actually the the, they had the flag, flag football, football game. game, but I'm talking about they played kick, jack, doe, 
kick where yeah. they were yeah where they yeah. were kicking to to win that and then mm-hmm. you had the dodgeball part of it dodgeball. then you had the obstacle courses that were part of it I thought that was better than so the actual it. game I yeah it was it was very entertaining and the most important part about it those guys looked like they were actually having fun and that place was packed. There yeah. were so many. I mean, there wasn't an empty seat. We'll have to see what the ratings are for, it, yeah, for uh, sure. to see if it's a success. But if the guys were having fun and you enjoyed watching it, I guess that's all that counts. I think the NFL is going to see it as a success because I bet when they get the ratings back, whether they're you know big time ratings or not, when they look at the demographics, the NFL is is they're trying to tailor this program. And they're trying to target a certain demo, and yep. it's kids. Yep. They that's why they want to see. They want these guys acting like kids, playing kids games. Mm-hmm. This is the NFL's candy cigarette. Yep. And they want to offer this candy cigarette to all the little kids out there and go, "Hey, that's my favorite player on my fantasy team, and he's also out there playing a sport that I also play. Right, kickball, dodgeball, like dodgeball, dodgeball, or yep. whatever yep. it is." Yep. And honestly, I think it's going to be a major hit with the kiddos. Well, and I, I'll add this other part that I realized through it when they're doing the flag football. Uh, normally in the Pro Bowl, you still have helmets on, so you still don't get that FaceTime of yeah. seeing a player oh, and having that recognition. Now they have their FaceTime, so everyone, you're watching these players and you're putting more faces to names and that, and it's just, you're like, oh, marketing-wise, that's really smart for getting the players more Absolutely. exposure. So I thought that was just really smart as well. Spoken like a true NBA guy. But that's, yeah. one, of the, that's, one, of that's big, one of the big one of the huge benefits yeah. of the NBA in you're terms of marketing money. promotions. They're trying to sell players, yes. and it's easier to sell a guy when I can see his face. Yeah, when yeah. you sell a matchup, <laughs> sure. how often do you sell a matchup on offense versus defense or player versus player? Yeah. You sell player versus player. That's always what you sell. So if you do that and they're not a face to a cornerback or a face to a tight end, or you want to add that because everybody knows quarterbacks – but everybody else don't know the face. That's why right. they tell you take your helmet off on the field. They're gonna find you, yeah, because they don't want your face on the field. But it's like, hey, give him the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowlers gonna do it. That's a great point. But I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, you don't think about that, but hey, who the hell knows how you know the linebacker, the best linebacker in the league looks? Most right. people, we do, but most right. novice fans they have no idea. Yeah. So I'm with you. It's a great point. Yeah, great I thought point. I thought it was great because you got to see. These kids out there enjoying the game, number one. Mm-hmm. They got a chance to be a part of it. You got to get personalities like Eli Manning and, and Peyton Manning coaching against each other, talking trash to each other. That was cool. Mic'd up. Yeah. And then you get Stefan Diggs versus Trayvon Diggs. They're yeah. going against each other. The matchups against brothers and things that you and they get to you get to hear them talking trash to each other. That was the beautiful part about it. And funny thing was, there was a guy at one of the bars and he was like, Hey, the, the Pro Bowl's on. The Pro Bowl's on. And the bartender kept trying to turn the channel, and she was like, ah, this is all we got. This is it. He was like, no, the Pro Bowl's on. This is it. <laughs> this is the Pro Bowl, dude. No, it's not. This is some other stuff. It's like, this is this the Pro Bowl. This is the new Pro Bowl, <laughs> This sir. is what you're I'm dealing sorry. with. You, I mean, I'm yeah. sorry you're not going to watch a bunch of men not try at football for a couple <laughs> exactly. hours. but Yeah. No, at least they tried. That's I right. did. Yeah. Hey, yeah. man, we got to see Jalen Ramsey. Take out Tyreek Hill. Hill yeah. Oh man, Miles Garrett like broke. Did he break a toe or something? Probably. Like, yeah. he, like, hurt. Just but that Jalen Ramsey man. one was just funny. They they pitch it back to Tyreek Hill, and he's going for the flag of the first guy. But since he pitches it back, he's like, "Well, you just yep. getting taken you out." Just so get get smoke. Was that yeah. was that was that a flag? That, I mean, sorry, flag. I mean, was it? Yeah, like it a probably penalty? was. was I it think a penalty? It was. I didn't I didn't yeah. pay attention that much, but I was like, "This is actually fun." My son was like. 
Look he, at their faces. He They're having young. so yeah. much fun. Texter says, my seven-year-old son enjoyed it. Yeah. Yep. I think, the, I think honestly, the NFL, I think it's exactly what they want. They yep. want your yep. son, Horace, to enjoy it, and they want the Texter's son to enjoy it. Yep. They don't really care about us. They don't. It ain't for us. And no. it, but we're getting a chance to see our kids' face and how they're, oh, yeah, I would have made him miss on that move right there. Yeah. They wouldn't have got my flag. And they I think it's got good to make flag football more popular. Yep. Uh, I, I remember when there was a belief that, oh, man, you playing flag and not playing, you know, pads. Yep. Like, uh, that was like, you know, this. This stigma associated with it that you weren't tough enough. Now people are saying, "No, no, flag football is a step yep. in your your you your evolution, your development." Yep. Yes, and then once you're ready for the physicality of pads, then you put on the pads, and it's time to go. No doubt. By the way, now here with seven on seven culture, we know seven on seven and flag. They're separate sports now, and it's straight physical out there too. They're separate sports all We've together. Seen it. Yeah, no yeah. question. <laughs> uh, all right, we come back. We'll get into NFL news, notes, and nuggets on the other side, and talk about how much money Sean Payton's making because it's a lot. Right here on Ball Don't Lie, wonderful not the horn.